0: Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing There is Confusion by Jesse Redmond Fawcett and sharing some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. Hey, Chelsea!
1: Hi, Sarah! How are you?
0: I'm good! I always love talking about a book that is new to both of us, and so I'm really excited to, to discuss There is Confusion today.
1: Me too! I love Harlem Renaissance literature, and this one fits squarely in that zone, so I am super excited to talk about it. And yeah, we had never read this before, partly because it was out of print for a good long time, and I don't want to say rediscovered, that's not the right word for it, but it was brought back into print and piled onto our stack of classics through the Modern Library. Is it the Torchbearer editions? It is. Which are these really nice paperbacks and it's got this really flashy green cover and we had never heard of it before the Modern Library paperbacks came out. But man, I totally think this is an unsung classic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So
0: thank you to the Modern Library for putting this back into publication, but also to gifting it to both of us. I, I You received yours, right? As, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. So that was so exciting for us to come across a book that neither of us had heard of, even though um, it's quite disappointing that this book has fallen under the radar because it's really good and so in the realm of books that are taught in high schools and universities and it just it kind of boggles my mind in some ways it boggles my mind that this has gone unpublished for so long and in other ways looking at it historically it is unfortunately unsurprising
1: um yeah
0: but i yeah
1: it was really really enjoyable so one thing that I love about this edition, it's got just a really nice paragraph about Jessie Redmond Fawcett herself, and then it had a great introduction by Morgan Jerkins. But I just thought it was particularly fascinating that Jesse Redmond Fawcett was in the same circles as some of the really famous Harlem Renaissance writers and she was the literary editor of The Crisis which was the official magazine of the NAACP and as editor she was the first person to publish Langston Hughes poetry she had a huge influence on shaping Jean Toomer's career Claude McKay I mean these are names that definitely are in the English textbooks, whereas Jessie Fawcett isn't necessarily named. So I just thought that was fascinating just about her, her life and just her studies, I thought, were so interesting. I would love to read a biography from her.
0: Yes, and there is one, but it is also out of print and just like impossible to get your hands on. I completely agree. Um, one cool thing, I don't know if you also read The New Yorker article by Morgan Jerkins about Jessie Fawcett and the kind of, you know, the lost legacy of her career. But my thesis advisor was quoted in that article, and she is the professor who introduced me to passing. And I've always felt very lucky that I was introduced to passing by Nella Larson, another wonderful harlem renaissance classic that we've talked about in a classroom setting because i think it too was under the radar for so long and so i'm kind of hopeful that claire my thesis advisor will maybe write a bit about these women one day and we'll all get to enjoy that
1: or maybe come on the podcast and talk about them yeah we totally should invite her (laughs) I do think, I mean, if anyone picked up Passing over the last year or so at our recommendation or just because they had seen it floating around, they've got to pick this one up too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's give a little summary and we'll say up front that we are not going to get into too many spoilers on this episode. We will discuss plot points that develop in the middle of, of the novel and you know, we, we want to get a little nerdy. But we know this one is less well known. And so today is going to be more about um, what sorts of readers should pick this up, its place in the literary canon, and a little bit of love for a an author who should be lifted up more often.
1: Definitely. Okay, let's kind of go back and forth here on plot summary we have this really glittery fun setting of new york city in the early 20th century and it starts with this group of childhood friends and i love this is a short book but it is sweeping Mm -hmm. so we follow these friends truly from childhood into adolescence young adulthood And by the end of the book, we get to kind of see where they all end up. And I loved just this sweeping narrative, but in a tight, shorter book. So our main characters that we follow... We have three Black children, Joanna Marshall, and she is ready to be a famous singer and dancer. And her family is super supportive of her. They want her to succeed. And we also have her friend, Maggie Ellerslie. Actually, she's more her sister's friend. But Maggie shows up and she hangs out with Joanna's family all the time. The Marshalls are that big family that you like to hang out with because they have nice stuff and because they sort of inspire you. And Maggie just lives with her mom and she likes that feeling of sort of having this big family to hang out with. And then we also have Peter Bai, and he has aspirations to become a surgeon someday. And he and Joanna are an item, and their love story is pretty much the main arc of this novel. And it's just this story about these three characters, how their lives intersect, how love and ambition, and their race shapes them and shapes the society around them and how they are grappling with all of those things at once. There's tons of social commentary in this novel, but then there's also just a lot that happens to these characters.
0: Yeah, this is one of those books that I love so much that includes so much social commentary, but all of that is really driven by the characters and their choices and their experiences. And um, Fawcett does sprinkle in kind of as a, the narrator some of her own commentary, which is also fantastic, but it really feels like this sweeping story that just happens to also be discussing all of these really important things. I, I think it's also important to note that this is very much a book about class and about money and Joanna Marshall and the Marshall family they are solidly successful middle class black family and a lot of Joanna's ambition stems from from that and feeling a little bit special but also that she wants to do even better than than her father did Maggie comes from a much more working class background and that causes some interesting ripple effects for for these characters as uh, as you mentioned both their race and their class really kind of determine a lot about about their lives both romantic and um
1: career wise yeah and Joanna is definitely I mean we have Joanna and Maggie I think as these main characters who read so much like Austen heroines in that they are constantly navigating how their choices, how marriage, and how their choices as women will impact them, not only as women, but as Black women in the world. And constantly thinking a few steps ahead of what will this look like for me? What will my life be like if I make this choice? And that's a part of this book that I found incredibly fascinating.
0: Let's get a little bit more into the Austin comparisons. And I I think, I mean, interestingly, Modern Library, the publishers of this book, invite that because on the back cover, they say, written with an austin like eye for social dynamics. And that... That's interesting. I think we probably would have picked up on this being somewhat Austin like anyways, but I think it's cool that they are encouraging Austin readers to come to this book. And then I also think that there are always kind of questions about, you know, comparing authors like that. But I found this to be Austin like in the best way, which was that it does not at all feel... Like, Jessie Fawcett is imitating Jane Austen or really even cares at all about where her writing fits in that world, but she's using the marriage plot and she's using the novel of manners for her own purposes. So the back cover of the book invites this Austen comparison. It calls Fawcett's eye for social dynamics, Austin-like, and I found that to be very true. Um, it it's, can sometimes be a disservice to an author when you compare them to another author, and in this instance, I, I just thought it was really interesting, I mean, Fawcett, and, and held true even though Fawcett's writing and work is not derivative, it's not imitating, it's very much her own. Um, what did you think of that comparison and and Fawcett's Austin-like eye?
1: Yeah, I'm always a little bit, well, not even just a little bit, but I'm always hesitant or critical when I see those comparisons, especially from publishers, because I know that there are many authors of color and specifically black authors who have clearly said I don't want my work compared to other, White authors. I don't want to have that comparison because this is something new and different. And just there's a lot of interesting commentary around that, and authors have spoken out about that. So even though Fawcett is not, you know, here to say that herself, I was initially wary of the comparison, but also intrigued. And then as I was reading, it was impossible not to think of Austin it's so spot on with that comparison and I think you're right it's not it's not like Jessie Redmond Fawcett was it doesn't seem like she set out to write an Austen-like novel but part of what Austen does so well and what many authors have done well since is writing these characters that are very aware of their place in society think about that when they're making their choices. And through characters often critique society and just sort of offer a, a peek into what the interactions are between classes and which sort of social norms make sense and which ones seem kind of silly. And this novel absolutely did the same thing in a really fascinating way in, in a completely different setting than Austen, of course, completely different era, but it, that comparison just makes so much sense, and I I loved it.
0: Yeah, her style is somewhat similar to Austen's, in that she uses that free indirect style, free indirect discourse, where she uses a third person narrator, but she slips in and out of different characters' perspective without going into first person. But sometimes she's writing like that character would think. And few writers do that well, in my opinion, and she nails it. Like it is, it's so good. And you learn so much about each character through her narration and it's seamless. And I also, I, I love a novel of manners. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what we English people classify Austen's writing as. But I'm not sure I had read like a great American novel of manners, and I, I feel like this is it. So, and a novel of manners is a is a book that kind of recreates and depicts a particular social group in order, like you were saying, Chelsea, to sort of critique the the rules and the dynamics and shed light on what's silly and what's important and how different characters see themselves within that particular social
1: hierarchy? So first I'm thinking of Joanna as she's trying to launch her dance career. And she has all of these instances where she is told she is a brilliant dancer, that she's so completely talented, and she almost gets a meeting with someone who could give her her big break. Or she has a dance teacher who really believes in her and tries to get her an audition. And then they realize that she's Black, and then they ignore her or they tell her no, and she sort of gets pushed down again. And she reflects on this situation. She thinks about, you know, well, how silly it is that I'm this amazing dancer and I should have my shot. But unfortunately, this is how society is. And she really thinks through what's happening to her. There's sort of a journey for her into that, because she is more privileged, for instance, than the character Maggie. Maggie seems all the more aware of her place in society from a super young age, whereas Joanna is convinced that race does not matter to her because she is so talented as a dancer until she gets to that point where she's told no and she realizes, oh, no matter what I do, this is going to be a factor for me. So that's one example. A smaller example is just the way that these characters interact with each other. Maggie and her mother run a boarding house, And there's sort of this offhand comment to Joanne. I think her brother is telling her like, oh, well, Maggie can sort of get away with going around town because she is around these men at the boarding house all the time. She's of a different class than we are. People expect different things of her, whereas we, this respectable middle-class Black family, have different expectations on us and who we associate with. So those are some of the things that we're talking about when we're talking about a novel of manners. Those are great examples. I I love I loved the varying levels of
0: awareness and um, degree of importance each character gave to class and race. And I I think that was something I really really appreciated about this book was that the characters change and grow and learn from each other and none of them are caricatures or at extremes. It just feels very authentic to how people who are raised in different environments and with different levels of privilege think and see the world differently. And then as they spend more time with each other and come to know each other and see how each other's lives play out, there is, like you said, this arc and this change. And it's not dramatic. It's not like a light bulb moment. It's just the way lived experience really does allow for that that growth. And I, I love that. That just feels so real to me. And it feels like something I rarely see in books with a broadcast of characters like this. Like you might see that from a first-person perspective when you're really doing a character study, but the the way a network of people works on each other in terms of figuring things out and, the, and change of
1: perspective was really well described in this book. Yeah, and I... So I think part of why I was hesitant about the Austen comparison and then sort of still a little bit hesitant about filing this directly under a novel of manners is because I don't I also don't want to trivialize and I don't think that Jesse Redmond Fawcett trivializes the issues of race and class and gender in the way that those intersect in this novel. There are some really fascinating things that she is doing with side characters. Um, like one of Joanna's friends who is passing mm-hmm. and Ends up going on to be an undercover journalist. Mm-hmm. There are just some really, there are some really big reveals, not just for the characters, but big reveals about about society and the way that race and class intersect and function in order to keep people in their place, basically, in order to keep their place in a caste system.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is. A really interesting point in, in large part because I think that's kind of what happened to Fawcett's books at the time that she was writing was some other Harlem Renaissance writers and she had some champions like W.E.B. Du Bois loved her writing and like really advocated for her and then there are lots of stories about her and Alan Locke, which we can get into, but he was much more dismissive of her writing because he felt it didn't um, di- it didn't address race directly enough, which yeah. is also something I've heard said about Nella Larson and Zora Neale Hurston. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think there's pro- there's probably some great, pieces of literary criticism about that and about how Black women writers at this time who were addressing the intersections of race and class and gender were maybe seen as not addressing race head on enough. Mm. So I I, I think that what you're saying is so important and it's easy to call this a novel of manners and a marriage plot and compare it to Austen and ignore those really serious social functions that are happening within the novel but I also think that it's equally important to to say like novels of manners which are historically kind of women writers realm are really vital for social critique and and I think this book is a really good example of that.
1: Yeah, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, man, people sort of categorize Austen as like, oh, well, those are just lighthearted romances without necessarily seeing, I mean, first of all, her narrative expertise, and then second, all of the social critiques and the deeper layers that are there. And I I certainly think, I mean, it sounds like the same can be said of Fawcett here. And let's sort of wrap up our book talk here talking about the marriage plot, because that is really central to this novel. And she spends a lot of time with the characters reflecting on marriage, the importance of relationships, the importance of love, and really drives this theme of the importance of love and happiness within the Black community in a way that I found really interesting. But... All of this is through the marriage plot, and the main couple that we're following throughout this story is Joanna and Peter, and we sort of get this impression from the beginning. They're going to be married. They talk about it, but then the whole novel separates them and drives all of these things between them, and we see this back and forth, and we question will they or won't they, and I mean, we won't spoil the end. But it's it reveals so much between, especially Joanna and Maggie and what they're looking for in a relationship reveals so much about their places in society. And I think it's also just her commentary on women and ambition and then the importance of women and, having that marital relationship is really fascinating because we have joanna who wants to be a famous dancer and we have maggie who ends up owning a bunch of hair salons and is an entrepreneurial businesswoman Mm -hmm. and yeah i just really like these characters yeah i they're
0: such great characters and i really i like too what the book is asking about what it means to be great like joanna wants wants greatness uh, is the way she describes it and in in large part for her, I believe that means fame, and that's kind of why she goes down this path as a as a singer and dancer, which isn't necessarily where my mind went when I thought of a very ambitious character. And, and then and then, like you said, Maggie really ultimately is more of that career ambitious type figure, and so it's just really interesting, like what is ambition. What is success for for a woman, for a Black woman? And how do happiness and ambition interplay? And I do think like that theme is very Austen-like, but there's so much of an added layered element here because of the way Fawcett addresses race and class within that.
1: Another interesting thing that she does with the character of Peter, I think that this especially shines, especially in the beginning of the book, when these characters are young and so full of hope and they sort of see their lives stretched out before them, it feels like they think that fame or that education or that wealth could just be the key to unlocking the upper echelons of society Mm -hmm. and unlocking access to what white people have access to so peter goes through this journey of going to school to be a surgeon he gets discouraged because of the racism he faces at school and he sort of drops out for a while to become a musician because he makes really good money as a musician he wasn't making good money in med school he was spending too much on school right and As a musician, he thinks, wow, well, this is freedom. I've got all this money. I, you know, can sort of do whatever I want on my schedule. But then he starts to travel as a musician and he faces racism as a musician. And he has this moment of realization of, oh, this is what it's going to be wherever I go. So he ultimately decides to go back to med school. And I do think that there is something interesting going on here of me and... I mean, I don't want to call it snobbery, but there is a a real emphasis on education and sort of um, these jobs that require special skills and training. And I mean, Joanna goes to certain schools. There's this emphasis on the arts and education, which makes sense in the context of the Harlem Renaissance and particularly Fawcett's own life and her education.
0: And so, it makes sense
1: that W.E.B. Du Bois was
0: like, this is a yep. great book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they clearly have very similar philosophies around that. I was thinking, and and this might still remain true, that the book's politics are fairly conservative in a, in a sense of like, you know, upper economic mobility and um, accessing that through education and hard work and which is not to say there's anything wrong with that at at all but just it felt different than some of the obviously contemporary black literature that we are reading today but i think that like you're saying and i completely agree with with this the real like resistance almost or the real radical nature of this book is that they find freedom and happiness and joy through relationships and each other and not that not necessarily that economic mobility although it is both and I like that kind of realistic element of this book like they do find happiness they also find security and happiness is often dependent on a first baseline sense of
1: security yeah that's a really good point and I think that Maggie Thinks about that and talks about it through the entire book. How she needs that sense of security. She's so well aware that she can only get that through marriage and sort of having that that stability, that um, desire to have a society, and I use society differently there. Society in the sense that she has this circle of friends that she so want desperately wants to have, and yeah, it's it's such a good book. I think that we should move along, but there's, there are so many layers in this book that we're not even getting to. There is a good chunk that takes place overseas in France during World War One. There are not necessarily flashbacks, but histories and backgrounds told about each of the families in this novel and those histories and backgrounds inform the characters and inform their decisions and sort of their life trajectories in such interesting ways and come full
0: circle in such satisfying ways yes I I completely agree there is so much here we didn't even talk about how the um the parents in these families are one generation removed from slavery and the the impacts of, of that. And they're, she's just doing so much in this book. And, and it's just a very compelling character-driven read. I, I do think that fans of Jane Austen should totally pick this up. If you like Passing, you should pick this up. If you like Gatsby, you could totally connect this one to Gatsby in many ways. Yeah, I I just I hope that more people do do read this one and that maybe it makes its way into classrooms as well. All right, Chelsea, before we get into our pairings, let's talk a little bit about our favorite audiobook company, Libro FM. What are you listening to on Libro right now?
1: I have a few books downloaded. I am listening to The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, just like one story at a time. So good. And then I have The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins to start soon, which is a Jane Eyre retelling and thriller. And I think that you've read it recently. So I'm excited to read that one and talk about it. I just finished
0: it on audio last night. So I'm very excited to talk about it as well. I don't know what I'm going to start yet. I'm thinking maybe The Push by Ashley Audrain, which you mentioned in our anticipated winter books episode. I like a thrillery book on audio, but I might also take a nonfiction break. So I don't know. I'm between books right now, but highly recommend The Wife Upstairs on audio.
1: Well, the good news is FM has a ton of lists on their site. So if you are having a really hard time finding a book, you can turn to those. They also have amazing bookseller recommendations. So it's kind of like walking into the bookstore and going to the staff picks section, which is my favorite. And FM does all of this because booksellers are their people. They support independent bookstores and they really make bookstores a priority for their business. And that's a big reason why we love them. Yeah,
0: I love it when I can purchase books for myself and feel, not just feel, know that I'm doing good for my community by supporting independent bookstores. So if you want to give Libro FM a try, Libro.fm is offering listeners of novel pairings, two audiobooks for the price of one, with code novel pairings. So that's two audiobooks for $14.99. Just enter the code novel pairings at checkout or use the link in our show notes.
1: All right, let's talk pairings. I'm really excited to talk about these because I loved this book and I definitely want to read more books like it. So Sarah, what are you going to recommend to go with There is Confusion?
0: It is On Beauty by Zadie Smith. And Smith's style in this book is so similar to Jesse Redmond Fawcett's. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that Zadie Smith read and enjoyed Fawcett's work. Um, it's also, On Beauty is also a novel of manners, although it is not a marriage plot. But it's not devastating. It is funny and witty and charming, even as it deals with some difficult subjects. So On Beauty, it was published in 2005, and it's actually Smith's retelling of Howard's End by E.M. Forrester. So it has kind of that similar um, classic novel of manners structure, and it follows the entanglements of two families. So both of the fathers are professors of aesthetics, not ethics, aesthetics, like beauty. And they're very different in other ways. So one's American, one's British, one is black, one's white, one's conservative, one's liberal. But there are romantic connections between the families, as well as rivalries and long held grudges. And there are lots of secrets in this book. One of the daughters in the book, her name is Zora. She was named after Dorian Hurston <laughs> reminded me a lot of Joanna. She's ambitious, she's a little bit meddling, she's single minded in her focus, and she's the kind of character you root for, even as some of her choices make you cringe a little bit. So, this book I loved so much. I read it in 2020. It was my favorite backlist book that I read last year. And I did mention it in one of our superlative episodes as the book that made me feel most scholarly. It's set on a campus and that's part of it. I really love the interplay in this book between classic conventions and contemporary cultural concerns. And I also really love, similar to Fawcett, the way Smith uses the novel of manners to do something really original that deals with race and class on a really personal level. So I think these two books are very much in conversation. I loved them both. That is On Beauty
1: by Zadie Smith. All right, Chelsea, what is your first book? I had to go with an Austen-like book. This is actually a direct retelling, and I just think it fits so well here. So rather than pair it with Pride and Prejudice, I decided to pair Pride by Ibi Zaboy with There is Confusion. I just think it fits super well, and I love this book. So Pride by Ibi Zaboy is a Pride and Prejudice retelling. And bonus, the audiobook is narrated by our favorite, Elizabeth Acevedo. So know that, first of all. And if that hasn't sold you yet, here, let me keep talking. <laughs> So this Pride and Prejudice retelling stars all characters of color, and Zuri is our Lizzie Bennett character, and she's from Brooklyn. She has this immense pride in where she lives and her Afro-Latino roots, but her neighborhood is slowly or maybe quickly becoming unrecognizable due to gentrification. And this wealthy family moves in across the street and Zuri just wants nothing to do with them. It's the Darcy family. And so we already just have this setup of these two characters who are from different classes and we know that they are going to have this sort of tense relationship blossoming into a possible romance because it follows Pride and Prejudice. And so I love this pairing because it's a family story. All of the social commentary of Austin is there, but It a Boy does such an amazing job of pulling that commentary and applying it in a completely unique way to Brooklyn society, to gentrification. There are still all of those intersections of race, and class that Fawcett explores in There is Confusion, but it is leaning more heavily on Jane Austen with it being a direct retelling here. It's it's YA, but I mean, I think that anyone, adults, should definitely pick this one up, especially if they enjoy Austen's work, but I think that it would make a really interesting pairing in the classroom with There is Confusion, I mean, I think it certainly would pair well with Pride and Prejudice, but I think you could read Pride and you could read There's Confusion and they're both shorter. And I think that students could really draw some interesting comparisons. So that's Pride by Ibiza Boy. And I think that you've read it more recently than I have, Sarah. So if you have anything to add.
0: I loved it too. I um, made it summer reading for my sophomores and then quit, <laughs> so didn't get to teach it. But <laughs> I did get a batch of a few hundred kids to read it over the summer, so I'm I'm glad about that. Yeah, it's a fantastic book, a great retelling, and I I think my next pairing is also a literal direct retelling of a classic, and I think that's so interesting that that is in large part where our minds went with there is confusion because it just has. There's Confusion just has the weight of a classic. And so it does go so well with these retellings. So my next pairing is No One is Coming to Save Us by Stephanie Powell Watts. And like Passing, There's Confusion feels like a book that could easily replace Gatsby in the classroom. And we've talked about how this book is is happy. And that's another reason I think this book should be brought into the classroom, kids don't get to read a lot of happy books. I mean, most of the literary canon is very, very dark and depressing. And I think a book that deals with hard subjects but ends with the characters being satisfied should be in the classroom. Anyways, that was a tangent. But because this book reminded me a bit of Gatsby, I think it would pair well with a Gatsby retelling. And No One Is Coming To Save Us is by a Black woman writer, Stephanie Powell Watts. And I'm not going to get too much into plot details because it's a Gatsby retelling, but it's set in a small North Carolina town that is still very much feeling the legacy of Jim Crow. And it follows a character named J.J. Ferguson, who returns to this town of Pinewood newly moneyed, and with a determination to win back his high school sweetheart, Ava. Like There is Confusion, this book is both about love and money. It's also about decisions and regrets, and it uses classic storytelling devices to explore those themes in really interesting ways. It also pairs well in terms of setting, not in terms of place, but in terms of time, There is confusion, as we mentioned, is set one generation out of slavery and the characters are still grappling with with that legacy. No One is Coming to Save Us is set one generation removed from Jim Crow laws. And so that bears a similar weight on the characters and themes of this book. So I think those would be a really fun book pairing to read together, but also if you love Gatsby retellings no one is
1: coming to save us by stephanie powell watts is a really great one i love that pairing i think the comparison to gatsby here i mean i i don't want to just sort of do that with every harlem renaissance book that we read but it's like why do we have all these amazing books and we're still reading this ding dang one in every single school in america every single year so exactly (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chelsea, what is your next pairing? All right, my next pairing is This Lovely City by Louise Hare. And this is... It is a lovely novel. (laughs) But similarly, it is about love and characters who are seeking happiness and have ambitions and ultimately ends happily, but there are secrets and there are hard things in the middle that they have to go through. So this one is London, 1950. So different setting, but still sort of that city and sort of this exploration of city society here. So World War II is over. And I kind of like that parallel with the World War One plotline in There is Confusion. And London is rebuilding. And so our main character, Laurie Matthews, He is a Jamaican immigrant who has come to London and come to England because there was this call for immigrants to come and take jobs and sort of join the labor force. So he is a Jamaican immigrant and he's in love with the girl next door. And so Lori plays as a jazz musician and his group of musicians that he has their jazz band is incredible um and lori basically he's he's excited to be in london he's loving his job as a musician he can't wait to marry his girl next door but there is this nasty situation um where he is accused of a crime that he did not commit and so he has to clear his name And sort of the community turns against a lot of the Jamaican immigrants in the area because of this accusation around him. And it's really heartbreaking in many ways. But I also thought it was so interesting to see this London history that I've certainly never learned about in a textbook that in the post-war London that they had... These Jamaican immigrants come and join the labor force. I certainly, you know, because I didn't know that, I wasn't thinking about all of the implications that there would be for the communities that would be shaped and changed and the way that those immigrants would be treated. All of that made for, you know, just really intense storytelling and just an eye-opening reading experience. But then this is a love story, and that love story is really central to the novel and I, I just think the general vibe of this book really fits. There is confusion, the wartime setting, the love story, and Louise Hare is a new author. This is her debut novel, so I mean, I thought it was good, but I'm looking forward to reading more of what she has um, coming out. I hope that she does write more. This was a really well-researched book, and... Yeah, I, I think that this one, if people like there is confusion, I think that they might, might like to pick this up. So This Lovely City by Louise Hare. All right, what do you have next for us for your pairing?
0: Okay, so my next pairing is Black Buck by Mateo Escarapor, And I've talked about this in our anticipated winter preview, so I won't go into detail of the, the plot, but I, I really, really loved the way Jesse Redmond Fawcett balanced the themes of love and ambition in this book. Black Buck is not a book about balance. It is a book about ambition and capitalism and the economics of race in America. It's extremely different from There is Confusion but i think this is another fun way to do pairings taking this theme of of ambition and the way race and class impact ambition and social and economic mobility and look at how two authors deal with that theme in drastically different ways so that's why these two pair so well in in my mind um I won't give a full summary as I, as I mentioned I did talk about it in our anticipated winter releases but just as a reminder this is a book about a young man named Darren who lands what is seemingly a dream job at a startup and then the company quickly takes over his life with lots and lots of um, cringy moments and devastating repercussions This book is pretty polarizing for readers. I've seen a lot of mixed reviews, and I'd recommend reading lots of reviews before you go in to decide if it's for you. It's satire, and it's extremely dark and biting satire. And I'll admit, I'm still processing how much I enjoyed this book, but I know that it was extremely well done. Like, This is a really well done book, Escarpore this is his debut. It is just blazing and fiery and confident. Like he knew what he wanted to do with this book and he achieved it. And I admire that in a debut writer. So I think this would be a really interesting pairing. Like I said, because the books approach the themes of ambition and black wealth and black success in just drastically different ways, both in terms of style and in terms of substance and what they ultimately have to say about that topic. So that is Black Buck by Mateo Escarpore.
1: I love that. And Jessie Redmond Fauset is tackling so many themes in this book that it is kind of hard to find a pairing that matches everything she's covering. So I like that you sort of plucked one that really stood out. Yeah, I'd be curious if people have read
0: both what they think about that. And I sometimes just like to, I mean, I know I used this image before of, like, two books sitting down. I i would love to know, like, what these authors would have to say to each other if they <laughs> sat down to talk about this topic. Um, I just, I think that's a fun thing to think about. All right, Chelsea, what is your final pairing for There is Confusion?
1: All right, last pairing. I couldn't get this one out of the back of my mind while I was reading There is Confusion, which is usually a sign that I have to pair it with the book. <laughs> And I kept thinking about Becoming by Michelle Obama. A couple of reasons why this kept popping into my mind. First, it is Michelle Obama's coming-of-age story. It's her autobiography, but she really does sort of share this arc from childhood into adulthood and shares how some of her ideas about the world shifted and changed in this really beautifully authentic and touching way and I sort of felt like that is how Jesse Redmond Fawcett was treating her characters in this book and sort of giving that beautiful coming of age arc and allowing them to make mistakes and change their minds about things throughout the course of the novel. I also think that Michelle Obama really does address the intersections of race, class, and gender in her book because she is sort of taking head on her ambitions as a black woman. She's talking about her relationship with Barack Obama and talking about how their ambitions in some ways clash with each other and they had to make compromises and what that looked like for them. She also is talking about her neighborhood in Chicago and what it was like for her growing up and sort of seeing gentrification happen. And all of these things from her life story just seemed to connect so well with There Is Confusion. And it it just kept coming up in my mind. And I also think that Michelle Obama's Book is super well done. Just the the prose is really great in in a similar way that sets is, and so yeah, that that's my pairing. I was it it kept popping into the back of my mind, but it's one that I debated back and forth a lot. But Becoming by Michelle Obama, I think might might fit in with this one. I think that's a great pairing. I I love that, and it's it's
0: I think always interesting to see how certain topics are dealt with in fiction as compared to memoir and autobiography so
1: i love that sarah sometimes at the end of our episodes we like to share a pick of the week that connects with the book that we're talking about and we have a couple of kind of nerdy recommendations here for our picks of the week so i'm excited to share these with our listeners who are ready to get a little extra nerdy
0: (laughs) Yeah, I um one of my picks is the New Yorker article I mentioned about the lost work of Jesse Redmond Fawcett. And it's the one that my thesis advisor was was quoted in. And it's a quick read and really um it's by Morgan Jerkins, who wrote the introduction to the edition we both read. So I just think it's a great quick but really informative piece about Fawcett's life. And then it talked about a book in the article called Women of the Harlem Renaissance by Cheryl A. Wall. And it looks, it's available on Amazon. It looks like a textbook sort of book, but I would really like to read it because in talking about passing and now there is confusion I just feel like there is this world of women writers from the Harlem Renaissance that I don't, that I'm not as familiar with as I would like to be. So I might look into that book for myself, but I thought our listeners might want to know about Women of the Harlem Renaissance as well. I'm interested in that one now. That sounds so good. I know. I think you would really love it. Um, Yeah. What is your pick of the week?
1: I have a JSTOR article for us.
0: <laughs> nice. Um,
1: but this is publicly available, so you don't have to have an account. You don't have to be a, an educator or student in order to access it. And we'll we'll have links to these in the show notes. But I thought that it was – super fascinating and I'll be thinking about it as we read more classics from this era. It's called How World War 1 Sparked an Artistic Movement that Transformed Black America. It's a pretty quick read. It's not like a super lengthy academic article. It's more like a um it's more like a think piece. It's part of they, they do publish these pieces that are sort of shorter form articles that I think are a little bit more accessible. They're still super nerdy and they're still academic. But um, if you are interested in literary criticism or in the intersection of literature and history, those publications are really interesting to look at. So we'll include a link, but it just basically talks about how World War I shaped and influenced the literature and the art that came afterwards and how it empowered a lot of Black artists and thinkers and protesters. And it's it's really fascinating. So we'll make sure we have those articles linked in the show notes for you. That sounds great. I'm going to look for that link and read it myself. Listeners, we cannot wait to hear what you think of those links of our super nerdy articles, (laughs) but also of there is confusion. If you read it, please let us know. And if you are loving our conversations here at Novel Pairings, an amazing way to support us is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you already did that, please keep sharing our show in your Instagram stories to let your friends know that you're listening. That's super helpful. We love seeing those and seeing you tag us in your posts of what you're reading
0: lately. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode toppling your TBRs with fairy tale retellings. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.